Hi, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to the broadcast. Tonight is October 17th, 2017. And tonight's broadcast is about divorce, blended families, single parenting, and co-parenting. I I think these topics can bring up a sense of powerless like no other for many people. Because in this equation, in all of these scenarios, there are things over which you have no control. And worrying about or thinking about considering how those things impact your children, their well-being, their safety, their development can be a very frustrating, angering, and difficult process to go through. So with that, let let me jump right into it. I first want to talk about that wilderness therapy, the the unique setting of wilderness therapy with with small group living and and consistent staff shifts that last for eight days is a fantastic place uh, to discuss divorce. I've even had a couple of occasions not, not, it was not ideal on the outset, on the planning, on the intention, but where students or clients found out about their parents getting a divorce. And, and in, in some ways, of course, we would have, they would have done it another way. But in some ways, it was a place where they got as much support and emotional safety as they could get in any other setting. So it's a great place to talk about going through a divorce. It's a great place to talk about your, your stress, your emotions, as, as a child, that is, when your parents are, are going through a divorce or have gone through a divorce, because the amount of consistency and support, it's a great place to explore. The agenda is wide open. This is not something that you, you know, you swallow in, in, in one bite. It's something that you work on over time. So I've seen children do very, very good work about it. Like other subjects, the, the question for families becomes, you know, what's the, 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 the big fish? What's the thing that has led or is underneath, led, led my child to their troubles or is underneath their troubles, whatever they might be dealing with, depression, mood disorders, disruptive behaviors, substance abuse, what is it? And in, in some ways you ask children who haven't looked at it or, or considered it to look at it more. Right? You'll often invite them to talk about it. You'll, you'll look at the usual suspects, if you will, to, to explore with the child. Many children will say it's not, doesn't have anything to do with it. Sometimes after introducing it, they'll come back with it's, it's everything, right? It's, it's all of my problems. And the fact of the matter is, is it's not typically true that it's all of their problems or none of their problems but merely one of their problems, one of their issues, one of their, their traumas. In some cases, depending upon when it happened, how it happened, how, how um, acrimonious it was, it can be a real big T trauma. In some cases, it can be a lot smaller T trauma. And how you, of course, deal with it as a couple, even as an individual. And I'm going to talk about this a lot this evening. Um, you have some control over how you deal with it, no matter how your, your partner, soon-to-be ex-partner or, or ex-partner is dealing with it. So our job is to teach your children how to fish, right? How to explore, how to deal with and feel with these kinds of traumas. Um, not, not to necessarily answer the question for them about how big it is, but where does it fit? And that's a process. It's not a one-time question or a one-time assignment, but it's a process and it evolves over time. And, and like all other 
uh, of the usual areas that we look, it's one of the areas that we're going to look look for. I had a parent years ago who was considering the program, and I was meeting with her uh, in, in the Bay Area, and she had said to me um, this idea that you know I, I think that um, I initially thought that the origin of nearly all of my daughter's problems and issues were the divorce because it was a really ugly divorce. And she went to, to therapy and, and her therapist said to her, whatever he or she said to her, but she came away with the conclusion that, no, that's not it. And that, that, that that's just one small thing um, and that there were other issues involved. Um, and then my suggestion, my idea was to offer the possibility that, that it may have been something significant, that, that be open to whatever the possibility is, that that the solution isn't to convince ourselves that we're all to blame or that we're not to blame at all, but that we have some blame. You know, we, we have dented our children. We may not have totaled the thing. We may not have wrecked it altogether, but we've dented our children. And if we can look at that with a, with a minimum amount of shame, honesty, awareness, and courage, then we can also leave space for our children to discuss, talk about, and explore what's going on for them in that context. So it's it's not about... Assigning blame or not blame, it's about dealing with shame that becomes the key to us providing a healthy avenue, place for our child to explore these issues. Of course, you want to be unified, a unified front. I mean, that, that's, that's maybe the oldest idea out there. You want to be uh, overtly respectful. <clears throat> you want to keep the divorce details to yourself. You know, I think one of the great challenges is that when a, when a parent feels particularly wronged in a divorce, if there was an affair, uh, if there was some other uh, large grievance, they, they want to tell that story or hint at it or at least express that kind of anger to the child. But, but few things can be more devastating in their um, effect to create a divided loyalty. Children will often take one side at the expense of the other when they perceive that one of their parents is more vulnerable. And, and you don't want or need them to do that. Your ex-partner, co-parent, can be a quote-unquote good enough parent even if they weren't a good enough spouse. So it's really important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harp on this all night on the broadcast, and that is, it's very important that you're talking to somebody, that you're going to therapy, in some cases, going to therapy more than once a week during these times of stress so that it is your job that you take care of yourself and your therapist is where you do that. If you don't do that, if you don't recognize that need, the probability of you spilling out onto your children increases, right? If you don't take care of yourself, then then you're going to ask for others and in your children specifically to take care of yourself. So it's, it's incredibly important that you keep the details, the specifics, the blame, but as much as you can, the energy. So take care of that energy somewhere else so that when you are around and with your child, you can be there for them. And you're going to be compromised during the process. Um, it's okay in divorce to have differences. I, I think one of the things that... Um, you know, would be an ideal as if everybody was on the same page about everything. But the fact of the matter is one of the reasons that you're getting divorced is because you don't see eye to eye. And one of those areas that you don't see eye to eye could very likely be your parenting. 
And so doing having a difference but being respectful of the other person. Not trying to compensate for the other person. Not trying to be extra kind because the other parent is harsh or extra tough because the other parent is especially soft. is really, really critical. I'll talk about that at length when I go into co-parenting. But we call it polarizing. But it's okay to have differences. And in the long game, this is really important. In the long game, your children will know who was there for them and who wasn't. Who was there to support them and take care of them versus who was getting their needs at, at the expense of the child. Especially, by the way, I should say this, especially if they're in treatment programs like Evoke, right? Then you're going to have um, people around them guiding them through exploring their feelings and, and what's going on, that they start to understand what healthy behavior is, what healthy parenting is. Even if in the short run, there's sabotage going on, you know, fighting and you know, getting down in the mud with them, of course, is something that, that later on you'll regret and they'll recognize. Try to avoid polarizing. It's, it's like the idea of a teeter-totter. The farther away you get from center to compensate for the other person, the farther you get away from your authentic self. So it's one of the biggest traps. It's, it's instinctual. It takes a lot of courage to step back toward the middle because there's a loss of control and the possibility that if I don't set really tough, extra tough boundaries, then there are going to be no boundaries. Or if I don't show more nurturing, extra nurturing and forgiveness and grace, then there's going to be none of that in the family. So trying to find your authentic self, parent from that place, not parent to compensate or to balance out the other parent. That's really, really key. Focus on the goals. I've said for years that at times, this is just to you. This is not to your partner or your ex-partner, your co-parent. At times, I would ask you to surrender your ideal version of things, of a decision, for unity's sake. Like, it's okay. Because there are, of course, going to be some things that are that both have to decide on. And at times, unity becomes more important than any other thing. Um, locus of control. Locus of control is the concept of what is inside of your control and what isn't. It's some of the hardest work. It's, it's I think, what, what trips co-parents up a lot is that they, they try to control the other person. They become obsessed with it. Do what you can do. Just do what you can do. And, and getting into a battle over who's right and who's wrong, who's, you know, what truth is the truth doesn't work. You just have your truth. And so when, I, I think when parents get incredibly obsessed and trying to control the other person, again, they lose their center and they really do lose connection with their child, which is the most important thing in all of this process in terms of your parenting. Um, go to co-parenting therapy if you can. Have somebody that, that can help you guys work to get on the same page in many areas. Focusing on um, what, your, what your overarching goals are because you can start to agree on those. And, you know, I, I would say it this way. You know, even when your co-parent is doing something completely counter, even recognizing, even if you disagree, even if you want to fight that battle, battle in a healthy way, Understanding that they still think that that's going to be what's best. They might be misguided. 
misinformed, but they still think it's going to be what's best for their child. And if you can remember that, it can be helping. And at the end of it, remember that you can only do what you can do. You can only do what you can do. And, and when we lose sight of that simple, almost ridiculous maxim, then, then I think we get ourselves into trouble. Um, with regard to, to co-parenting also, you may not be the best one to vent to about your ex-partner. So when your child comes to you, you might not be the best one for them to complain about your ex-partner because you have a, a dog in the fight, right? You have a, an interest in that at times. And so encouraging, saying to them, I can't do this, but I'm happy to provide you a therapist can be an effective way to get them help. And of course, if your child is in or at or, or through from Evoke, you've already taken that step. Single parent families. That's the family that I grew up in. Um, the, the, the most common mistake is that the parent, single parent relies too much on the child for their support, for their validation, right? In, in, in homes where there are two parents, you can look to your partner, ideally, in many cases, to get validation, to vent, to, to sort things out. But when you're a single parent and you don't have that, that mirror, that safe place to go to, it's very easy to, to ask for, to require, to need your child to take care of you, to take care of you by letting you know that you're okay. So you're going to be, you're going to be less capable of, of tolerating them being angry at you, being disagreeing, being hurt, because you're going to need them for your sake, for your needs, to be okay, to be happy. And of course, that does not help with child development. I'm, I'm in the middle of running an intensive, and one of the questions that, that was asked during a piece of work is, is needing a bad thing? And it's not a bad thing. It's just not the same as love. And I, I want to be very clear about that. Needing means I'm taking something from you. Loving means I'm giving something to you. And you can love and need the same people. And you can need someone that you don't love and love somebody you don't need and so forth and so on. But, but, but I say this because ideally we're loving our children, not needing them. Needing is not on the same continuum. It's a different animal. I used to think it was a higher version of love. It's, it's, an, you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an soaked, uh, it's, it's kind of drenched in love, I thought. And it's not. It's a different animal. It's a different thing. So take care of yourself. Parentifying your child, turning your child into your spouse or your co-parent can be a mistake. It is okay in the literature they talk about, of course, in single parent families, children are going to have extra responsibilities at time, but be very clear and overt about that because it gets confusing to them where in one instance, they're kind of serving the role of a parent, babysitting the younger siblings. But in another instance, they're still the child. And so talking about that Having family therapy around that, talking with your child about that difficulty and, and going back and forth in those roles can be important. It's important that you take care of yourself in terms of your esteem, that you have some hobbies. It's going to be limited, of course, in some cases, because when you're a single parent, you don't have that other parent to cover for you and that you have other relationships that you can rely on to meet a lot of these needs. Like I said, many make any blurring of parental boundaries overt, explicit, and temporary and, and limited to a certain situation. Find other so sources of support. Groups, therapists, family, friends, and mentors. Step parenting. You know, the role of the step parent 
is oftentimes they have a few advantages. They're more objective. But I'll tell you what comes also as a disadvantage in that is the step parent sometimes can lack empathy for the parent because the parent's not objective and they can be very critical and frustrated. So kind of combining that that objectivity that you that you offer as a step parent while still having it nested in empathy and understanding that it's a different relationship can be very important in, in, in a more complete way of being the, the, the step parent in the family. Ideally, and this can't always be the case, but it, the, the, the step parent is not the primary disciplinarian. But sometimes the step parent is the stay-at-home parent and the other parent is working outside of the home. So and there's situations where you're just not going to be present. So it's okay to be that way. But it's it's important if you are, even if you are the step parent, you are the primary disciplinarian, that the, the biological parent or, or the, the parent who's not a step parent, that they step in, that they back them, that they don't avoid, that they don't delegate or defer all of that kind of bad guy role to the step parent. And the step parent can sometimes, because of their position, can offer to the child kind of a, a friend's perspective. They, they still have to be the role of a parent, but they can, because they're less reactive, right, less intertwined, sometimes they can, they can offer a perspective and they can be uh, both, both a voice of, of reason that the child will listen to, but also someone that the child can, can, vent, uh, can vent to. Sometimes the step-parent can be a, a good one at communicating with the non-custodial parent. That's okay. If, if the two ex-parents, the two ex-spouses who, who had the child or adopted the child, if they are compromised in each other's presence, right? If they are reactive with each other, sometimes the step-parent can provide great communication. It's easy for the step-parent, like I said, to see what isn't happening. It's easy. So while it can be helpful and, and there's clarity there, try and be humble about that because there's a reason why it's hard to not be able to see the the the, the nose on the end of your face it's the reason why it's hard not to be able to see the trees in the forest right we are a part of it we, we can't see it because it's a part of us and so yes you can offer some clarity clarity it's easier to remove your emotions um but it's important that you recognize that Sometimes a lot of judgment and impatience can come with that. Um, like I said, the, the, the parent needs to be involved, needs to be willing to be the bad cop. And again, you're going to have to make do because there, there might be situations where you can't, you're not the primary parent. And that's not uncommon at all. And then, of course, like everything, co-parenting therapy. Let's talk about co-parenting. Learning about letting go. Learning about letting go of control what you can and can't control. I think for me, in any kind of codependent relationship, the, the red flag for me is when I obsess. If I find myself ruminating and obsessing about somebody else, their issues, their problems, my wanting them to change, my wanting to change them, I know I'm stuck in my codependency and I need to go to my meetings, to my therapy, to take care of that. Um... Focusing on, on you, going more than halfway. This is, this is relevant whether it's a, when I'm talking about co-parenting tonight, I'm not necessarily talking about ex-partners, ex-spouses. 
I'm talking about any, any co-parenting that goes on. Focus on yourself. Go more than halfway. You know, when people go halfway, they usually end up going about 49%, and the other person goes about 49%, and then they argue about the last 2%. So find a way to compromise, to go more than halfway. Sometimes you let them try it their way, right? See if their way works. Sometimes they come to the same conclusion you do after they try it their way, but consider that as a possibility. Don't correct or talk with your children about the negative stuff said about you, right? If that gets brought up, you don't talk to them about it. You don't debate it. You don't refute it. You just be there for them, and then you take that up with your co-parent. Be safe for your kids. Be the parent that is the adult. Be the parent that is taking care of themselves. Be the parent that doesn't need the child for emotional validation, for self-esteem. It's incredibly important. And then be a part of the solution. Like, like that goes back to the making compromises. Blaming your, your child's behavior on the other parent, not very important. Somebody asked me this not too long ago, and, and they said, you know, there is, of course, blame to go around. And why not talk about it? And, and my response was on the parenting phone call, yes, it's there. And yes, I'll talk with your child about it, but it's outside of your control. So to spend any significant kind of energy on focusing on that doesn't do us any value. The only thing you have control over is you. Same with the, the nature versus nurture. You know, what's genetic? What's, what's about our culture or peers or schools? Yes, all of that needs to be taken into consideration when talking to the child. But if your focus becomes those things, then you're not focusing on the one thing that you have control over, which is your impact. Let therapists do the heavy lifting with regards to some of this work. You don't take it on. I even have phone calls with co-parents where I'll say, look, I'll do that. I'll do the confronting. I'll do the challenging. I'll do the teaching. Don't you do it. Your, your co-parent or ex-spouse is much less likely to hear it from you than they are from me. So let me play that role. It's going to be a safer, safer place, safer delivery method for them. I know this question is being asked in some of your head. If not, I would be shocked. But that is, you know, what if the co-parent's behavior is dangerous and destructive and harmful and abusive? And, and my response is, you have to decide if it's good enough. And I always say, call a lawyer. You know, ask them. Because the law is not going to get involved when it's about somebody being extra harsh. Right? Or some being, somebody being extra laissez-faire. They're going to be involved. They're very reluctant to be involved in custody situations unless it's big T trauma. So if you need to talk to a lawyer, talk to a lawyer. Find out if your concerns, your complaints are within the realm of taking legal action. Because then you do have rights to, to take legal action and you don't have to let go of control, surrender control. Right? The police, CPS, the courts will intervene for you. So I just want to I want to qualify that because there are situations, of course, and that's one way to find out for sure. Being right, I mean, that's just a core principle of, of a pitfall of all the work that I do, not just regarding co-parenting, but 
It's not about being right. It's just about finding your truth. What's true for you? What you feel, what you need. Being right is a war that is being fought all over earth today, all over the globe today. It's a war that's being fought, that's been fought for since recorded history, right? One side's right and the other side's right and they're fighting over it. But it's harder to fight over, this is my truth, this is what's true for me. This is what I need, this is what I feel, this is what I want. Focusing on the other, like I said, obsessing. In therapy, um, we try to empower and inoculate the child against any kind of abusive behavior, empower the child. So sometimes you say, you're going to have to take that up with your father, you're going to have to take that up with your mother. I can't fix that for you. Again, if it gets to the point of, of abuse, then you know divorce is going to happen and custody is going to be settled. But if it's just complaints about a parenting style, kind of that small T trauma that all of us expose our children to some sometime in our lifetime, then encouraging them to go to the source. Because if you become the fixer, the solution, the kind of hub of the spokes, so to speak, they don't learn how to deal with it themselves. And then again, trying to save a relationship that's not yours is, is not your job. Explaining, right, being the go-between, it's not your job to make your child and his or her father or your child and his or her mother get along. It's not your job to make sure. It, you can share that concern with your co-parent if they're willing to hear it. But if it becomes a, a practice of yours, a focus of yours, an obsession of yours, you're going to get off track. You're going to lose your center. Separating your, chi, your need and the child's need. This is very powerful. I was running an intensive one time where this parent had a concern about their ex and the impact the ex had had and is having is having on the child. And I hear that all the time. That happens on almost every intensive that I run. And at one point through some of the role plays, the, the, the parent was asking for and encouraging the child to explore some of the, 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 the trauma that, that he or she had experienced at the hand of the ex-partner. And at one point, the person playing the role of the child in in this psychodrama that we were doing said, that's not my need, that's your need. And it was clear as day. Hit this parent, like, right between the eyes. Like, that's right. I was doing the, you know, the pace of it, the priority of it, right? It getting done was mine. Yes, it might be something. And it's absolutely okay to hand that over to the child, to the therapist, Right? I don't believe that we never take a phone call, a solo phone call or a solo email from a co-parent. That would be crazy. And there are some therapists and many young therapists who try to do that because they're afraid of being split. You've got to have the right to say to your son's or daughter's therapist, like, here's my concern. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to give it to you. And I trust that you'll deal with it. So... It's very important that you do that, but that you not take it on as your kind of banner that you're going to constantly fly. And co-parenting therapy, focus on shared goals, learn to listen, learn to negotiate, and learn to let go. What if my co-parent is my youngest child? <laughs> um, that can seem like it is true at times. But then just like dealing with your literal child, 
you're going to have to figure out some important concepts about how you're participating in that relationship. Are you enabling? Are you overcompensating? So forth and so on. Where are your boundaries? Can you take care of yourself? Like I talked about, playing the long game. Parents, it's frightening. And, and I, I'm, I was divorced. My, my two oldest children are, are from a divorce. And, and I'm remarried and have been for 18 years today. Today's my anniversary. Um, and, you know, part of that process for us has been difficult at times. But the times that I've done the right thing, when I thought the wrong thing was being done, but I took care of myself, I was clear, I didn't fall into some of the pitfalls that I mentioned tonight, it paid off. It paid off to this day. And frankly, in the times that I didn't do the right thing, that I did fall into some of those pitfalls, I paid for that also. Especially because my children have been supported and exposed to therapy. And so they know what it means for a parent to show up as the adult in a relationship. Take legal measures if you need to. Being on the same page, like I said, it's, it's ideal. At times I encourage unity at the cost of, of minor differences for sure. Um, sometimes, I, you know, at our program and in subsequent programs, I have heard... Therapists ask for parents to be on the same phone call, even when they're divorced. And I understand that there are limitations on a therapist's time. But I'd rather do a half an hour with one parent and a half an hour with the other than an hour with, with both parents where the call was very, very compromised. So it's okay to ask for separate times. If, it, if you're bumping up against that at Evoke, drop me an email. Be happy to talk to you about it. Talk to your therapist. Look into it. It's okay to have that at times. Some don'ts. Don't talk to your child about the other parent. Like I've said, be careful in allowing your child to replace the parent. Depending on them for emotional support and validation of the pain experience from the other parent is a no-no. Granting them equal say in a democracy because at times you rely on them in a single-parent family is a problem. Using them to meet all of your needs, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one because if you're a single parent, when you go through divorce initially, if you're a single parent, you're going to have limitations on your time, so you're going to be taxed. But, but making sure that you have other outlets, other sources, other people to talk to. Like I said, divorce or, or marital conflict is not all of the problem, nor is it none of the problem, but it is part of it. And it's your job's, your, your, your child's job to find the size and the shape of that puzzle piece and to put it into the, the puzzle that is their lives. Allowing the therapist to do the heavy lifting of parent education and parent change. What are some of the take-homes? Be there for your child. In order to be there for your child, you're going to have to go to therapy. You're going to have to take care of yourself. And again, it's, it's the one relationship where as much as possible, we try not to need them. And that's tricky. And especially when we confuse need with love. In, in Al-Anon, they'll talk about stay on your side of the street. I do the, we, my wife and I talk about this all the time in all of our lives. Like staying on our side of the street. Versus believing that it's my job to call her on her crap and police her. And her to, to me. Right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. You know, the, 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 the moat in one eye and the beam in the other kind of analogy what 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 do you have to tend to 
Be the safe one. Play the long game. Um, go to therapy even if you go by yourself, like I've said. I love these three ideas. What you think of me is none of my business. What you think of them is none of their business. And what your child thinks of them is none of your business. That last one has been a difficult one for me at times. I've had to learn that experientially. And I've learned that that's okay. That what my children think of my, my, my co-parent is not my business. It's not my project. If it gets to the point of abuse... If it gets to the point of something legal, yes, I'll take action. But when it comes to everyday, small t, you know, average human mistakes, that's not my job, not my place. All right. You guys can send any questions while I'm going over the upcoming announcements. We want all this. This goes right to this, especially because these are these are free programs. We want all parents to go to six 12-step support groups while their children, children are with us. They don't have to have an alcohol and drug problem. You can go to CODA, Codependence Anonymous or Families Anonymous. Al-Anon typically is for uh, those who have family members that, that have alcohol problems. But remember, folks, all you have to do in those meetings is translate alcohol or drugs with self-sabotage, you know, lung, low functioning, dangerous behavior, risky behavior, unhealthy behavior. I have a friend who told me he started going to, to AA meetings. And he didn't, didn't have a drinking problem. He went to it because a friend invited him. And um, the first night he announced himself in his first AA meeting, he said, Hi, my name is, said his name, Frank, whatever it was, and I have problems. He ended up stopping his drinking, even though he wasn't a problem drinker by any stretch, because the fellowship meant so much to him. And so that shows a wonderful example of somebody who was able to transcend the specifics. See the underlying commonality. Right? That, that's a sign of mental health. When you can see the similarity in, in yourself and in, in lots of people, people with more severe problems, more chronic problems. If you want to listen to any of these, of course, you can listen to them on a podcast on your iPhone, iOS device. Uh, go to the podcast app and search Evoke Therapy Programs. If you have an Android device, download the SoundCloud app and search Evoke Therapy Programs. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, at Evoke Therapy, Facebook, search Evoke Therapy Programs. This is not just to be chatty. Some of the announcements, some of the events, some of the support groups, they get missed in your email inbox or your spam filter or somehow you get taken on the list. So uh, just even if you get a Twitter account, just follow Evoke. Um, just so that you see announcements, it can be helpful. You know, we just had a play in Washington, D.C. It's moving to Nashville this week, this weekend. That's an example of something you would have seen tweeted. We have parent support groups coming up in New York and in Chicago. You'll see them on the, on the webinars and hear them on the podcast, but also uh, you, you would see those on social media also, specifically the Twitter feed. The Second Nature Alumni Foundation on Facebook is a charity organization founded by former parents to help people who can't afford therapy. Go there if you want to be involved or find out more. And, of course, our blog. My book is available on Amazon. Uh, right now, it's temporarily unavailable. It'll be restocked within a week or so. Um, but you can go to other buying options and buy a new copy there. Um, and then it'll be back in the main warehouse. You can also go to Regan Arts or BarnesandNoble.com. It's also available Audible or CD. If you go to the Parent Alumni Foundation book page, part of the Amazon, Amazon Smiles program, you can buy books there, and a percentage of the proceeds goes to charity. We want all current parents to attend these experiential, multifamily, 
workshops with staff and, and therapists. You can combine that with a visit to your child if the therapist thinks the timing is appropriate. The next one is October 21st and 22nd, coming right up at Cascades. And then back in, at Entrada, November 18th and 19th, contact Gail at evoketherapy.com for more information. Um, the next Finding You workshop, this, folks, <clears throat> will be the last public offering that I will be myself for sure running, facilitating. I may do them in the future, but this is the last one that I am for sure doing. Um, I'll be running private ones after that, and then I'm, I'm training other people to take over the, the Finding You. So if you want to come to, to the one that I'm running to, to have it guaranteed, November 8th through 11th is the last one that I can guarantee at this point. You can also sign up for a private family intensive. You can call admissions or email intensives at evoketherapy.com. Like I said, coming up in New York on the 29th of this month, 430 to 630, at the Courtyard JFK Marriott, we'll be uh, hosting a, a meeting there. And then uh, in Chicago on November 14th at the Renaissance Marriott North Shore. Uh, we haven't signed the contract yet, but it's coming in the next couple of days, but that's when it'll be. Email Andrea at evoketherapy.com to find out more. Pursuits trips are for families, young adults, or people just want to go have sober fun, therapy light. Adventure trips all over the world, any activity you can imagine. You can combine it with some therapy or it can just be led by one of our Pursuits staff that have some therapeutic background but are really there just to create a wonderful growth-producing producing experience for individuals or families. All right. My co-parent and I have done a lot of work and have a very good relationship around our daughter. However, he has a wife who has yet to decide whether she is in or out when it comes to issues around our daughter. I feel that she hones, horns in, hones in randomly and imposes herself inconsistently. I find myself resentful and angry, mostly because she drops in and out. And when she drops in, she is full of advice and I feel lacks insight. My question has to do with uh, what is appropriate for me to say, do when she imposes herself into the discussion. So far, I've been silent. I do not want to get in the middle of their marriage. It's a great question and a difficult. If you have a relationship with her, you start off from an I feel, I need, this is what's going on for me experience. You know, the less you come at it with here's what you're doing and here's the problem, you know, the in and out, the imposing, the lacking insight, oh, of course, all of that is going to close doors. But talk about, okay, here's what's going on, here's my need. Be as non-judgmental about her behavior and talk about how you're struggling. And then again, you're, you're, you're right, the in and out and the imposing Opinions and even you didn't say this, but the judgment I can imagine is the the double-edged sword of being a a, a step parent because you're you have objectivity and you at times lack empathy. You can also yeah you know it is their marriage and if your co-parent is willing to take up that battle, that's his or her responsibility absolutely. And if they're not, then and you have any kind of relationship, try to have a discussion around around it go go you know the 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 book nonviolent communication describes this kind of language go to the eight tools blog or the eight tools webinar to 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 hone you know to to freshen up your skill set around how to take care of yourself without provoking defensive <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me without provoking defensiveness in the other so those are my thoughts it's a it's a really good challenge 
significant challenge. Any other questions? All right, folks. We'll be talking to you this Thursday, two nights from now, October 18th. It looks like one question is coming in, so I'll address that before we, we wrap up. What do you do in a situation where my former wife has remarried and decided that her new husband can serve as the children's father without any future involvement from me? Um, you know, obviously there are, are, are legal things that can protect you from that. I've seen that before. I had some version of that actually with my ex-wife and, and the man that she married. And, and we've, we've talked about in co-parenting therapy for years since then. But I, I learned that if I just showed up the best way that I could, as loving as I could and as patient as I could, I had to take a huge piece of, of out that, that uh, my children were younger and they started calling him dad. And that was really, really hard for me. And my therapist at the time said to me, it doesn't matter what they call you. You'll be you to them, whatever you are. However you show up, you'll be you to them. So just try to show up. Try to remove yourself from, uh, from whatever he or she are doing. I, I asked them to, to, to change and they were unwilling. But it's just show up in the best way possible for you. And, and to this day, I have an incredibly fantastic relationship with my two older children. Very close. They ended up living with me um, throughout their adolescence. And, and they have, a, they have a, a relationship with their stepfather, but their relationship with me is father-son, father-daughter. And, and it was the long game for sure. So I can relate to that question. It's a very painful one, very scary one. All right, folks, the next webinar, I'll pick the topic. It is going to be Thursday, October 18th, 7 p.m., the usual time. Look forward to talking to you then. Hope this is a helpful point of contact. Take care. Be gentle to yourselves. Be patient with the process. None of this is easy. None of this is, is, a, is a snap or an easy solution. It's a work in progress. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye.